the last five minutes of your meeting should be reserved for the wrap-up. And this wrap-up has three components. What are the next steps? What are the tasks that are coming out of this meeting? And specifically, who will do what by when? So getting super clear on those next steps, because during the conversation, there's a lot of ideas thrown out. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello. Today, I'm talking with and learning from Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Mamie is the host of the Modern Manager podcast. She is the author of a great book called Momentum, Creating Effective, Engaging, and Enjoyable Meetings. And she's the founder of a coaching and consulting firm called Meteor, who aim to help people be more productive at work. And her passion is to help people thrive. And often where that thriving comes undone is in meetings, that old saw that meetings is the only paid alternative to work. And certainly when I'm working with clients or groups and I say, has anybody ever wasted time in a meeting? All hands go up. And yet when I do sessions where we try to create a meeting charter or we try to create behavioral frameworks in organizations, everybody seems pretty clear what a good meeting looks like and has no difficulty splitting what a good meeting and a bad meeting are from one another. So today we're going to talk to Mamie about how do we overcome some of this inertia so we know how to run great meetings, but somehow we allow ourselves to sit in them and they're rubbish. So there's some tips for that, how to do this virtually and in person. She's got her 80-20 or even 64-5 rules around how to run better meetings. One is, first one is around context before and during meetings. And then the second one is how to make sure we capture decent notes on the way through and then we wrap up in a way that means that we get the outcomes we were hoping we would achieve. So a great conversation with Mamie. She's passionate about meetings and passionate about helping people thrive at work. And great conversation. Always great to learn more tips and tools about how to run better meetings. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm Mamie Canfer-Stewart. I am host of the Modern Manager podcast. My book is called Momentum, Creating Effective, Engaging, and Enjoyable Meetings. And I'm an executive coach, and I work with teams to help them build a strong, healthy environment where people get to do their best work and be their best self. And why did you end up writing a book on meetings? What's the backstory? I got into meetings because I was working, I'd start a business that was really focused on the ideas behind projects. So before we get into all the project planning that happens, there's the the strategic thinking that goes into a project. And so I was using a tool and I was trying to work with teams to get them to do this kind of strategic thinking. And it was not having any any stickiness, any attraction in the market. 
And so I started talking to consultants about how they might incorporate this tool into their work. And one of them said to me, you know, if I could just get my teams to have effective meetings, let alone like be effective in their strategic thinking, like that could be helpful. Like how can this tool help them just lead a meeting in the conversation more effectively? And I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. Like maybe maybe where I'm at is just too too far down the chain, kind of too high level. And what if I just focused on how to run the meeting so that the thinking could come out as opposed to using a whole process and like the, this big thing. So I started talking to folks kind of everywhere I went, asking them about their meetings from networking events and social events with friends and just all across the board. And every single person I spoke to had a story to tell about a terrible meeting that they had been to at least that week, if not that day. Oh, when I speak to people, I say, hands up if you've ever wasted your life in a shitty meeting. And as you say, you could go, was that in the last month? Everyone's still hands up. And yet when I ask people, what does a great meeting look like? And conversely, if I ask them what a crappy meeting looks like, everybody's really clear. And you just think, what is it about meetings? They, they seem to lose all control. You know, they can't say this is really boring or why am I here? Like they just sort of sit there mutely and let their, their lives be frittered away. I, I don't get it. Exactly. And the amazing thing is that the solutions are not hard. This isn't rocket science. This is this is stuff that most of us know how to do. We just either don't take the time to do it, don't feel safe and comfortable in the environment to do it, or haven't really like just thought about what we should do. We just haven't stepped back to say like, hmm, maybe this is worth improving. Maybe I need to just kind of take a step back for a second and look at my meetings and how I'm preparing and who's coming and what we're doing and just be a little more thoughtful. It, it's it's really not a complicated problem to solve. It just takes some time and intention. And just moving back slightly, what was this tool that you developed? Is it a tool you developed to help teams do strategic thinking? So I grew up in a family business called Gojo. We are known for being the inventors of Purell hand sanitizer. And my first job out of college was working with some of our senior folks in the business. I was trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And it was amazing because I got exposed to all of these incredible tools, including how to run effective meetings. And and kind of how to be a team member and I mean all the stuff that you get to learn when you're inside an amazing organization. And one of those tools, we call it the project profile. And it's a template that walks a team through the thinking that goes into a project. So why are we doing this? How does this align with the organization's goals? What does success look like? What are the measures that we are going to use not just one goal statement, one SMART goal, but what are all the metrics that we are going to, to be able to measure if we've achieved success here? Who are the stakeholders that are going to be impacted by this work? What are the resources needed? What are the, the people that are going to be involved in all different ways? It, it just kind of has a, a whole bunch of questions that are always part of the template. And then there's a whole series of questions that you can add on depending on, is this project related to marketing or product development or anything else. And there's a process that we use to bring people together to do this thinking. And by doing it as a team before you get into all of the project management parts of it, all the project planning with the timelines and the Gantt charts or even the milestones, you get the team aligned, you get the team bought in, 
you surface all the watchouts and what could go wrong. So you're making smarter strategic decisions up front. It's a really brilliant tool that is very easy to use and significantly impacts how smoothly the teamwork flows after that. So that was a tool that I was exposed to at Gojo. And I thought, oh my gosh, every organization should have this tool. This is what I want to do. I want to take this out to the world and help embed this into the project management process. But yeah, no one was really interested in that. Still not. I use it sometimes with teams and I talk about it on my podcast and I have it in my in one of my courses, but it's not it's not something that most people want to take a lot of time to do because of the way that organizations run with this sense of urgency. Okay, new project, here's the goal, let's go. And we kind of skip over or we assume that like the strategy happens at the high level and by the time things are trickling down to a team, there's no room for a team to be doing that deep thinking. It's kind of like it's expected to come from the top or the top is so controlling about it that they don't want the team members on the ground to be doing that kind of thinking. They just want the team members to run. That's why I do the work that I do to help teams figure out how they can be most effective and build those wonderful workplaces where people's strategic thinking is wanted because people who are doing the work often have the best ideas because they understand the situation. And there's also value for people at the top, right? They have a different perch. They're looking across an organization to understand how does this project A over here relate to project B? So we're seeing different things because of our different perches. So really, when you're developing the project profile, you have people from the team, and there's usually a senior person who's a sponsor of that project who's also participating in the project profile development. So you're getting all of these different perspectives to come together and share the brilliance that you get when you have that collaborative conversation. Well, I, I had Ben Bensow on, and he's written a great book on innovation, Built to Innovate. And it sounds as though that project plan mechanism is something that he would love. Because he says, look, all of this sort of incremental innovation inside a business, the employees already know what's broken. You just have to give them a mechanism so that they can fix it. And you've got to go for volume. You've got to get everybody suggesting things that could be better or if we do it this way, this will break or, you know, here's what we already know is going to mean that we're not going to be successful. And if you don't do that, it's just demoralizing for people and your best people will go and work somewhere else. So let's talk about meetings then. So I, I think if I go and visit a company or a team, because cultures are sort of bottom up, not top down, but if I go and spend some time in a meeting with a team, I reckon I know what their culture is just by how they run meetings. Oh, yeah. My favorite kind of quote on this is that meetings are a microcosm of your organization. They really show power dynamics. They show communication skills. They show psychological safety. They show so much preparation and respect for each other. I mean, you can really get a read on an organization's culture by watching their meetings. It's not consistent, right? As much as we want culture to be the same across an organization, if you're four or five people, that's probably true. If your organization is, is relatively small, you probably have one culture. But if your organization gets above 20 or 30 people, it's likely that you have some commonalities in culture, but every team leader does things a little differently and fosters a slightly different kind of environment. So to truly understand what's going on, you need to watch multiple meetings led by different folks in different areas of the organization. And you'll start to be able to piece together not only what are these meeting practices and how are your meetings fostering the kind of culture that you want to create, but also what is the true culture or cultures that are being perpetuated inside this organization. 
Well, I I'll have a meeting with a CEO and they'll be late, and then you talk to their you talk to the employees in the organisation, and they say no no meetings ever start on time. In no meetings ever finish on time, and you go oh okay that won't be the CEO then. And it's exactly just people cast inadvertently cast long shadows. Yes, they do. And it gets baked in. And there are other companies where people are obsessive. You know, they, they turn up two minutes early and they've done all their prep versus not their prep. Because the people who would have read the, the pre-work have just given up because they know otherwise they've wasted an hour before the meeting and they'll be the only ones who've done it. So why bother? Exactly. This is one of the biggest pieces of pushback I get when I teach meeting practices, which is I give pre-work. But of course, not everybody does it. And often the person who doesn't do it is actually the senior person coming into the meeting. And so I hear you telling me that I'm supposed to just cancel my meeting if people aren't prepared or move forward and just tell them, I'm sorry, you're not going to totally understand what's going on, but we're not recapping. We're moving forward. But you can't. How do you do that when it's the person like it's your boss or it's like someone else from another department but who is senior to you? How do you just tell them like, Sorry, you didn't do the pre-work. We're moving on without you. <laughs> like that doesn't work. So it's it's tough. And the people at, at the top of the organization tend to be the worst. They tend to think they can get away with a lot of things without realizing that their position doesn't give them the the leeway to bend the rules. It actually makes it more important that they be good role models, that they do this to show respect to their team members, but also to foster that kind of environment that they want for their colleagues. If you want people to show prepared for you, you should show prepared for them. So timekeeping and pre-work seem quite obvious things. Do you get into men interrupting women more often? Is that Do you get into that level of detail when you're working with teams? So that's not an area that I tend to focus on. I, I look at inclusive meeting practices. So we talk about different ways that you can create space for people. And I also teach about how to manage disruptive behaviors. So interrupting or kind of going on and on and on and hogging the microphone or taking conversations off on tangents that have nothing to do with the meeting topic. So I, I do teach meeting facilitators and really all meeting participants because everyone can help facilitate. It's not just the meeting leader. So I do teach some of those kinds of practices that are meant to be interventions. But I, I don't get into specific things around gender or race or other dynamics that can be at play. I really focus on the, the commonalities of creating an inclusive environment. So where should we start then to unpack some of this? Should we go like, what are the biggest problems? What are the, should we go there? Like where, if you had a, if you had a top, top three things that you could fix that have the bit, is it, is, does the 80-20 rule apply to meeting etiquette, do you think? I think it does, but I actually want to take a step back and, and pull up for a second because the number one thing that will improve your meetings is if you write a desired outcome for the meeting. And this is a very specific type of statement, and it is often uncomfortable or awkward to write at first. So I want you to hang with me for a second here. A desired outcome is a statement of what the meeting will achieve. So in contrast, most of the time, the way that our brains work is we say, we need a meeting. Okay, what are we going to do in the meeting? And we think about the activities. We're going to discuss the report and the findings. We're going to review the budget from last quarter. We're going to make a decision about how to move forward with this vendor. And that's great. You can have really good conversation. You can get really interesting insights. You can build lovely relationships. But at the end of the meeting, what will be different? 
What will you have accomplished? Having a discussion isn't an accomplishment. So you want to think and retrain your brain to ask a different question, which is, what will we achieve by having this meeting? What will be different because this meeting happened? And you can even use a fill in the blank. At the end of the meeting, we will have fill in the blank. We will have alignment on how to update the strategic plan. We will have a list of questions we need to take to our senior leader to get answered. We will have a recommendation to serve up to the board. We will have whatever it is. And when you start thinking about the outcome of the meeting, it totally changes how you then plan the time that you're going to spend in that meeting, who is going to be invited to that meeting, how much time you need to get to that outcome. It really starts to shift how you're preparing, what people should do ahead of time so they can come in ready for that meeting when you think about the outcome instead of the activities. I think that's really useful. It fits with OKRs and going away from to-do lists and being busy and telling everybody else how busy you've been to talking about outcomes and, and achievements. Much more, much more useful to get away from the task and up to the outcome. And do you, the, the, did you say the minimum number of people that you need to make to, to get to the outcome? Or just which people, right? I've had teams tell me that They've gotten into a conversation and then they realize that they need a particular person's perspective to be able to make a decision. And they didn't they didn't think about that ahead of time. They just called the team together without realizing, oh, we actually need somebody who has deep knowledge of X, Y, Z. Like this particular case, it was a finance person that from a big organization, their team needed to understand the implications of some pricing changes that they were looking at on their their costs. And they realized that they didn't have anybody who had that expertise. And they needed to get someone from the finance team to come in to help model some of the, the implications. And they they didn't think about it ahead of time. But if you're saying, OK, at the end of this meeting, we need to have clarity on how these the pricing changes are going to impact our our next steps or what we can do here. You might start thinking, oh, well, do we have the people to be able to do that? And you start to surface and say, who are the right people that need to be in this conversation? And then we can take it a step further and say, who are the people that don't need to be in this conversation? Because one of the the biggest challenges, as you mentioned, we started, everyone sat in a meeting going, why am I here? Do I need to be here? Why? Like, this does not seem like the best use of my time. And sometimes it's because the meeting isn't clear. The, the desired outcome isn't clear. And so we don't know why we're there because we're like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And other times it's because you were invited to a meeting you didn't actually need to be in because the meeting leader just said, oh, I'm having a meeting. I'm going to invite Mamie without actually thinking for a second. Is this the best use of Mamie's time? Do I need Mamie's perspective in this room? And by the way, there are ways to participate without actually having to show up for the meeting. So when you start to think about who do I need to have in this meeting, you can make sure the right people are there and you can give opportunity for everyone else for inclusive purposes, why you might want to invite others, because there are reasons to invite people who don't need to be there to get the outcome. There are other reasons you might want to include people, but you can at least be aware and talk to them about it and give them the option of coming or not coming. Yes, I often MVP, minimum viable participants, only because I feel that the more people you add, the less likely you are to have a great meeting. And, you know, you'll have a better meeting with five people than with 10 people. If it's a meeting, because there's lots of times you pull people together and they say it's a meeting and it's actually that somebody's just going to talk at you for half an hour, which is just communication. It's not actually a meeting. Meetings are for outcomes. Other th the other things are communication. Do you have language around that? Yes. Well, so on, on the communication side, yes, I, I say there are 
There are reasons to have meetings and there are reasons not to have meetings. And information sharing is not a reason to have a meeting. The only time information sharing should be done in a meeting is if the information is complex. And so you really need to have nuanced conversation check for understanding as you're going. If you just send it across the transom, the likelihood that the person's not going to understand it or the team isn't going to be aligned on what this all means, then you want to have it in a meeting so that it can really be part part of the processing of this information. Second, if it's sensitive, right? You don't want to send something that's highly sensitive, that's going to have an emotional reaction or response where there's a relationship at stake. That's a reason to, to share information in person or kind of over a, a virtual call so that you're showing the person the respect of giving them this information in a meeting as opposed to sending over an email. But most of the time, one-way communication is not a meeting. So that let's just be clear on that. The second part, though, around the number of people, I don't, I don't agree with smaller is better. I believe smaller is easier. For most managers, leading a conversation amongst five people is really easy because you can fit on one Zoom screen where you can fit around one table and you don't have to do a, a lot of planning because you can kind of get away with facilitating in the moment, even if you're not a great skilled facilitator. But once you get to 10 people, it gets a lot more complicated. And too often we don't then do the required process to, to create an agenda to build out how we're going to use our time effectively so that you can get the most out of those 10 folks. I think you need the right people in the room. And if the right people is 10 people, then you have to do the work as the manager or the team leader or the meeting leader to plan your agenda to use the time effectively to get what you need to get to the outcome. It's harder, but it's totally doable. It's one of the other challenges in there, which is often why I end up working with clients is because it's really hard to facilitate and participate. Yes, like if you are one of the subject matter experts in the room and you have to do a lot of participation, being a participant and facilitator, it's almost impossible to do either of them really well. Yes. And so what roles do you see bringing clarity and quality to meetings? Yeah, well, I think it starts with building out a really thoughtful agenda so that you know how you're using your time. And it can be more than just we're going to discuss topic X, right? There are so many techniques and tools and activities that we can use. And when you time block your agenda, you start to actually allow yourself the ability to participate in different kinds of ways because you're using activities that allow for everyone to participate. So let me give you some examples. So if we're going to do a, let's say that I sent them some material and I ahead of time and I want people to read it and I want them to come ready to share what were the two or three takeaways that they had from this article that we read that we're now thinking about how do we apply into our work? So instead of just saying, I'm going to give myself like 10 minutes to have people share, I'm going to give each person one minute and we're going to go round robin. And now I can say, well, there's six participants. So one minute per person means about six minutes. And I'm going to put myself on the list so that we each are going to go around and be able to share what were our couple of takeaways. Maybe I want to use a Jamboard or something else where I'm going to say, we're going to spend five minutes quietly thinking. We're going to just kind of process what are all the watchouts coming up in this project? What could go wrong? We're going to use devil's advocate thinking. And we're just everybody quietly think and put those ideas onto the Jamboard or put them into the, the Trello board or whatever tool you're using. 
or write them on sticky notes and we'll hang them up on the wall. Now I can take off my facilitation hat because for five minutes, everyone is doing the thinking and we're going to pull it all together for discussion later. So when you design your, your agenda to do more than just talk, you can allow yourself to kind of flip more easily between wearing a facilitator hat and wearing a participant hat. And also, you don't have to be the only facilitator. I really encourage teams to train all their people in effective meeting techniques because everyone can help the meeting stay on track. Everyone can help the meeting stay on time. It does not, you don't need to be a meeting hero and do it all as the, the leader. You can encourage everyone to help, but you have to give them the tools and the techniques as well. They need to know how they can help. You can't just ask them, please help keep the meeting on track, right? You need to give them the tools and the techniques so that they can be empowered to do that. And what are some of these things that people in good meetings do differently to bad meetings? If we turned up at a company that, you, that you've just given a gold star to, what would they be doing? Very first thing they would do is they would open the meeting by saying, here's our desired outcome for this meeting. So potting people in exactly what this meeting is meant to accomplish. And that does a couple of things. So first, people are running back and forth from all kinds of stuff that they're doing all day long. And maybe you as the meeting leader know exactly what this meeting's about because it's your meeting and you've planned the agenda. But for everyone else who's entering, their brain could be in a million different places. So reminding folks, we have an hour and this is our desired outcome, gets everyone now focused and entered into this particular conversation. Second, it gives everyone the tool to now notice when the conversation has gone off on a tangent or has stopped being relevant to the desired outcome you're going for. And this is one of those techniques that you can teach your entire team to say, if you've noticed that our conversation has kind of gone off track or you're confused by how what we're talking about is going to help us get to the desired outcome, how it's relevant, then raise your hand, interrupt us and say, hey, this is really interesting. I'm not seeing how this is going to help us get to our desired outcome. Or can somebody help connect this conversation to the desired outcome today? Or can we put a pin in this? Can we follow up with this? I'm happy to schedule some time next week on the calendar, but can we reorient to our desired outcome for today? And now you have a whole group of people who are thinking as the conversation's unfolding, instead of sitting there going, why are we talking about this? They now have a tool. They now have a way to interrupt gracefully and say, this is a great conversation, but I, th I think we've gone off a little track given our desired outcome is to do ABC today. And so how do you feel about people doing email or using tech in a meeting? Because I was th the reason I asked that is because the moment it goes off track and two people are having a side conversation, 99 times out of 100, nobody puts their hands up and says, can we get back on track? They just turn their eyes to the next screen and get on and do some email until, until hopefully at some point before the meeting ends, it comes back on track. Right. So I think most people are doing that because they don't have an easy way to get it back on track or they don't even know what the track is. They just know that this conversation is not interesting. So if you are clear about what you're trying to achieve, you have more likelihood that people will raise their hand because they'll know very clearly this conversation isn't relevant and they'll feel more empowered Right when you, when you verbally say to folks, help me make this meeting productive. Let's all take responsibility for noticing when the conversation's gone off track and speaking up about it. So you're kind of giving people permission to interrupt. 
So that that's like a, an essential part of this is you have to be really explicit with your team that everyone needs to help keep the meeting on track. As for like the email and the technology side, like you, you can't totally stop people from multitasking. It's unfortunate we're so overloaded. People are going to do it and it's not always easy to catch or to stop. But if you're leading a good, effective meeting, people don't want to multitask. They want to be part of your meeting. You as the meeting leader have the opportunity to design a thoughtful, engaging experience to make sure the right people are in the room. And when you do those things, the chances that people are going to start doing email or texting or something else just go way, 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 way down. And if you do notice that someone is multitasking, it doesn't hurt after the meeting to just check in with them and say, it seemed like maybe you were were a little distracted during a meeting. I'm just wondering, was there something going on for you that, you know, was just a, a really high priority to attend to? Or was there something in the way that I designed the meeting that didn't work for you? Like, I, I, I would just like to be able to not have that happen again. And I'm wondering if there are things I can do to make sure that you're feeling more engaged or if there are things that you can do differently to make sure that you're you're not distracted by other needs. And just open that conversation in a way that is really about making everybody's lives better, making the work better and making the experience of the meeting better. Okay. How do we keep track of this outcome as we're going through the meeting? Oh, I love this note taking. <laughs> so this is the number two thing. So desired outcome is always number one, write a desired outcome, focus on the noun of what the meeting is going to accomplish. And then number two is to think about your note taking as a wrap up. So the last five minutes of your meeting should be reserved for the wrap up. And this wrap up has three components. What are the next steps? What are the tasks that are coming out of this meeting? And specifically, who will do what by when? So getting super clear on those next steps, because during the conversation, there's a lot of ideas thrown out. We should ask Bob from the marketing department to get us the latest numbers on something. Or, you know, oh, let's find out about XYZ and, you know, maybe we could do this new thing with the client. And there's a lot of ideas, but those don't all translate to next steps. And I have seen this go in both directions. I have seen teams and talked to teams where ideas get thrown out like that and then nothing happens. And then somebody like the boss gets really angry that something didn't happen. And the person's like, I didn't know that was an actual next step you wanted me to take. Or the opposite, where the team hops to and then go do a whole bunch of things. And then the boss is like, why are you wasting your time doing all those things? I didn't tell you to do them. I didn't give you the go ahead. We were just brainstorming. So you want to be super clear at the end of the meeting. What are the next steps? Secondly, what are the decisions that were made? And you want to get it in writing in the language that the team is agreeing to. And what were the key reasons that we went with this decision? Is there one or two kind of underlying rationales that this was the decision that was made so that if others are reading this decision, they understand why it was made. Or if two weeks from now, people are like, I want to revisit that decision, you can look and say, well, did the factors change? These are the two core reasons that we made this decision. Have those reasons changed? Has something in the market changed that would tell us that we need to revisit this? Because if not, this is why we made the decision. The decision still stands. Last one is what are the big ideas, the highlights or the key takeaways that you want to remember or people who weren't in the meeting need to know about? So was there a particular information that was shared that people need to know about? Were there ideas for the future that you just want to capture so that you don't lose them? 
Does we call them highlights or takeaways or learnings? It's kind of the, the big things that you don't want to forget. I just, when you said earlier, we'll all go and give it the six of us and it'll be a minute each. So that's six minutes. I just thought, no, not in any meeting I've ever been in. I just thought that that's at least, that might say six minutes on the agenda, but in my head, that's at least 15 minutes. And then, and then when you've done a five minute wrap up and then you said these, these three things, I'm like, Okay, that might say five minutes on the agenda, but that probably looks like 15 to 20 minutes worth of, worth of work to get that out. Because you need to get, as you said, the level of specificity, right? So when somebody says who, what, when, that when they say oh, a month from now, this thing they say they're going to do has to be described in a way that they can say whether they've done it or not, as opposed to a bit random. And so maybe if you're working with a team that's got very good at it, it's five minutes. But I think that would be fabulous if every meeting ended like that. That would be a joy. It really makes a huge difference. And many, many techniques, right, you get faster over time. So yes, in the beginning, you might want to reserve 15 minutes to do a wrap-up or 10 minutes to do a wrap-up. And when you're doing the wrap-up also, you ask the group, what are our next steps? And you can ask the group, can someone recap the decisions from today? And I always encourage people during the meeting to be taking just scribbled notes for yourself. There doesn't need to be an official note taker. You as the meeting leader don't have to write everything down. But as a group, if everyone is just kind of taking their own little personal notes of, oh, here's the next step I think I might need to be responsible for, or I think we had a decision on this, and taking their notes, then when you get to the wrap-up, people aren't having to re-go through the entire conversation in their head. They're just looking at their, their little scribbled notes and saying, okay, I heard Mamie say that she was going to reach out to the vendor to get the updated pricing. I heard so-and-so or, you know, I heard this has, are we actually doing this? Do we need a revised version or are we going to stick with the one we have? Right. And you use those little notes to help you facilitate or kind of help the group come together on those next steps, the decisions and the takeaways. And it will get faster over time. The more you do it, the more your team will get into the mode of thinking this way so that it can become a five-minute activity. And there are ways to facilitate, to keep people on their time limits. Like everything else, it just takes a little practice, a little intentionality and willingness to interrupt people and let them know that we're actually going to stick to our time limits. We said you have one minute to share. You got one minute to share. And if you frame it under, this is about equity. This is, we have half an hour together, five minutes to get ourselves into the room between people showing up, getting ourselves grounded in the, the agenda and the desired outcome. And we have five minutes at the end for a wrap-up, which means we have 20 minutes of conversation today. And there are, let's say, four people in this room. That means each of us are going to get five minutes of airtime. Five minutes. That's not that much time. So we really want to create a space that is equitable and inclusive. And if one person talks for 10 minutes because they're ignoring the, the ground rules or they're ignoring the agenda, then it, it's really unfair and disrespectful to their colleagues. And so grounding this in we want to create a space where everyone's voices are important and we want to create opportunities for everyone to participate and we want to do so in a way that gets us to the best thinking. And so we're looking for balanced participation and I'm going to be I'm going to tightly facilitate us so that everybody has a chance to share. And this is also again why you can use other types of techniques and tools like writing on sticky notes or a virtual whiteboard that gives people an opportunity to share simultaneously. Because talking requires us to have space, but everyone can be writing at the same time. 
So it's another great way to balance participation and get more thinking into the room. And is there a number three or should we talk about the sort of power imbalances? Let's talk about power imbalances. Because I think so often the meeting is chaired by the most senior person who's, who's called the meeting. They may or may not be trying to facilitate and take part in the meeting, but definitely they might have not done their homework. They might talk for 10 minutes and people might not feel able to do some of the things you've suggested to talk about respect and uh, inclusiveness. How do you, how do we help people manage the hierarchy? Yeah. So I find the most complicated situations are when the person who's called the meeting is in the middle tier. They have their team members in the room and they've invited a senior person to come to the meeting. And the senior person shows up and is the one who's not prepared. They're the one who's not grounded in the desired outcome and they take the conversation anywhere and they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And the team leader is feeling really stuck because they don't know how to control their boss. And they don't want their team members to be seeing them as someone who is losing control of the meeting. And they also don't want their team members to feel disrespected. And so it's just a big old mess. So that's the situation that I hear as kind of being the, the stickiest of all the different kinds of meeting situations. If it's someone who's reporting directly to you who's not prepared, it's easy to talk with them. It's easy to kind of work through that. And if your boss is the one who's called the meeting and you're showing up and your boss didn't do anything, you're kind of like, well, there's only so much I can do. It's my boss's meeting and I'm, I'm maybe I am going to do my email right now because they haven't prepared. But when it's your meeting, it's really tricky. So a couple of things that you can do. If you know that your boss or whoever the senior person is that is coming in is chronically unprepared, is kind of perpetually a problem. They come in and they just throw the spaghetti at the wall and you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? There are a couple of things you can do. So first is talk to them before the meeting. Have a pre-meeting the day of or the day before the meeting. Get 10 minutes on their calendar to talk with them about whatever it is that they need to know before they go in and your goals for what it is that you want to get out of that meeting and why specifically they're there. And it can be whatever it is that you need them to know, but you want to get them in the right mindset. You want to ground them and make sure that they have that information so that when they walk in, they are not the only person who isn't prepared. They've at least got some grounding from you so that they can be productive in the conversation. So tell them whatever they need to know. Give them whatever direction. If you want them to be the cheerleader because this is a new project kickoff and you're really excited, tell them, I'm really hoping when you come in tomorrow that you're going to show some enthusiasm for this new project because the team is excited and I think it's going to you know, be really hard for them if they don't feel like there's support from the top. So please, you know, what do you think about that? Does, would that work for you? So give them the specific directions or kind of offer to them, make their job easy, basically make their job easy by helping them be prepared. And then at the start of the meeting, give a really good framing. Make sure that when that senior person is coming in, they're not going to go way off on, on different tracks because you've spent the first couple of minutes really laying out, this is what this meeting about, is about. Uh, this is my meeting and this is what we are driving towards and not letting them come in and just say, well, wait, before we get started, I want to I wanna just get this off my chest, right? We are establishing our leadership in this meeting and we are going to frame it in a way that will minimize the chances, not totally eliminate, but minimize the chances 
that they're going to take this meeting off track because you've given them the time to reorient to what this meeting is about and what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, I think that's fab. I do think that's probably, I was thinking to some client sessions that I've attended recently where the facilitator was not the most senior person in the room. And then when the most senior person in the room said to the facilitator, if I go off track, do stop me. But even then, even when people have been given explicit permission, it's hard. It's hard to interrupt people and it's hard to, you know, maybe you do it once, but it's like hard to do it three times. Well, this is one of those things that I love about virtual meeting tools. So while in-person meetings have lots and lots of benefits that we've all experienced and virtual meetings have lots and lots of drawbacks that we've all experienced, there are a couple of things about virtual meetings that I think do better than in-person meetings. And one of those is using the raise hand feature. It is such a nice, polite, easy way to signal to whoever is speaking that I also would like to speak. And most people I've seen, when they see someone's hand go up on the virtual screen, take themselves, you know, they'll kind of wrap up their thoughts and hand the microphone over. And it is, can be really beautiful and elegant to watch people do that. And it's so much harder in person. It feels weird to sit there at a class, like you're in a classroom with your hand up in the air waiting for the person to call on you. But in a virtual meeting, it actually becomes a really nice way to signal, I have something to say about this, or you're going on for a long time. Maybe you should start to wrap it up. I've got one client who worked with ClearVision who actually were very good. They didn't use the raise hand function. They just raised their hands. And actually, because they did that virtually, they also did that in person. And often it meant that if somebody else saw somebody's hand was up, somebody else would often interrupt the speaker. Or as somebody else tried to get into the conversation, they go, hang on a second, you weren't next. And and it does give, it does sort of, as you say, mean that the power is shared, if you like, because you've got an agreed signal. Absolutely. And the chat bar can be used in a similar kind of way, right? People I've seen in meetings get very comfortable with putting additional ideas or thoughts into the chat bar so that it's it's not interrupting the person, but it's saying, I totally agree. Or um, another idea is X. And it just kind of, it's a way for people to get things off their mind without having to interrupt and, and take the whole microphone out. Or saying, can somebody help me? It's sort of passive aggressive though, isn't it? Can somebody help me understand how this is getting us towards our objective? People can use it for that. That would be, that would be fantastic as well. And sort of feels less confrontational to type in the chat than uh, say it out loud. Often I use red and yellow referees cards. And so, you know, you get a yellow card for going on too long. And so it's an indication somebody can reach across the table and pick it up and raise the yellow card. It's like, we've all agreed that if somebody talks too long, this is going to happen. And then I might, I might rave the red card at somebody if, if I feel like, you know, they've already used their allotted minutes just to say, you know, if I, if I red card you, you can't speak for your sin bin. You can't speak for 10 minutes because you do have repeat offenders. And unless you can punish them in a friendly way, you know, they won't actually change their behavior. Yeah, that's a nice thing when you have that, that deep trust and relationships in your team and you can be playful about it for sure. And when it comes to people who are long-winded in general, right, and, and really almost all disruptive behaviors in meetings, it's important that we remember that people aren't typically trying to be 
disrespectful. They're not trying to be disruptive. They just don't know any better. Sometimes they don't realize the impact that they're having. Sometimes it's how their brain is wired. And so it actually takes a lot of effort for them to be self-aware in the moment. And so when we stop thinking of these people as being like, oh, they're so annoying and start realizing that, no, they're just people. And it's our job as the meeting leader or the manager to talk with them, to help them understand the impact that they're having, to help them recognize their behaviors and then figure out what are the ways that they can become more self-aware or what are the signals that I can give you to help you notice because I'm noticing. So for example, there's one team I work with where when the boss is getting really angry because he tends to get very heated, the there's one person in the room who he has a good relationship with whose job it is, is to to signal to him, you need to take a breath. And so they have a little, they have like a little hand signal that she'll use to signal to him, hey, 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 slow down, take a breath. You're getting, you're getting a little aggressive here. And it's because he can't, he hasn't yet developed the skill for himself to notice it. And so this is their kind of stopgap. And many people are like, yeah, I don't, I don't intend to hog the microphone. I'm not trying to go on and on and on. So sometimes they just need that little little signal with a yellow card or whatever it might be, a little side chat in the private messaging or a text to know, hey, maybe give someone else a chance. I, I remember being in a team with a couple of guys who were on the sort of introvert, extrovert scale. You know, they were 19 out of 20 and they could preempt the silence. So they'd started the speaking before that even the person had finished speaking. And at the other end, we had one guy, Ryan, who was at 20 out of 20 on the introvert scale. And unless people specifically stopped and waited 30 seconds and said, Ryan, what do you think? We've been in meetings for two days and hadn't heard from Ryan in two days in the meeting because there was never a gap. There was never a gap long enough for Ryan to have gathered his thoughts and spoken. And again, it comes back to facilitation or doing exercises on post-it notes to try and make sure that people are comfortable to share. Exactly, exactly. We talk a lot about the people who talk too much and not enough about people who aren't speaking up. And it is so important that we recognize that people participate in different ways. And when we facilitate, when we take the time to plan out those kinds of activities, or even I love to just like write little sticky notes to myself that say things like make sure to call on so-and-so. And I ne- I try never to call on people cold. So usually if, if there's a quieter person on my team, I will have talked to them ahead of time. They'll know. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say on this topic. So I, if you don't speak up in the meeting, I will likely call on you, right? You're giving them the heads up to say, if you want to jump in, I'm really encouraging you to jump in. And if you don't, beware that I am going to ask you to speak because I really want to hear what you have to say. And for the team members you work with all the time, they'll get used to that. But if it's a, a newer person on your team or you're going to meet with a group and you kind of, whether or not you know that they're going to speak a lot, you want to make sure that they're going to jump in, giving them a little heads up can be really helpful. Thank you. That's magic. Mamie, what is it that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? I wish I would have just known how important it is to be intentional, that so much of how we show up in the workplace is just kind of our, our natural way of functioning in the world. And that the best managers are people who are intentional about how they show up. They're intentional about the culture they create. They're intentional about the way that they engage with their team members. And just being more intentional about how we work has a huge impact on our own experience and the experience of our team members. Fantastic. And I think you mentioned your book, Momentum, as well as getting a copy of Momentum and listening to the Modern Manager podcast available 
everywhere podcasts are listened to. What other books do you think have been helpful to you or you think people should read? All-time favorite book on all things productivity and and work and self-improvement is David Allen's Getting Things Done, which I know is probably a little cliche. I'm guessing many of your listeners have heard of this book. If you haven't, you absolutely should read it. It is a system for how you can, I think, live your life in a way that frees up your brain. And I have definitely experienced the power of working in ways where your mind is not for holding ideas, it's for having ideas. And being able to get ideas out of my head, all the things I'm supposed to be doing today, out of my head and onto paper and into a trusted system, that was life-changing and transformative for me. And so I highly recommend reading, getting things done, and you don't have to follow the whole system, but follow the things that work for you. Fab. You got anything else? Well, if we're going to like go all across the board, I have a favorite children's book. It's called All the World. It's by Liz Garten Scanlon. It's illustrated by Marla Frizee. I read this book to the point of memorizing it with my children. I think it is the most beautifully written and illustrated children's book that I have ever read. I give it to every friend that has a baby. All the world. It is really like it's magical. And what age group of children? So I got it when my first daughter was born and I read it to her before she could even understand words up until the point when she was like probably seven or eight. And my younger daughter was only 18 months behind her. And they would get so mad at me for reading it that they made me stop because every night I would pick a book and that's the book I'd pick. And they would go, not again, mom. And did they did they know it so well that if you skipped a page, they would tell you you'd skipped a page or they would know all the words as well as you did? Probably. The, they wish I would skip pages. I refuse to skip pages because I love this book so much. I used to go into bookstores everywhere that I went. If I saw a bookstore, I would go in and if they had it, I would buy it. And if they didn't have it, I would tell them at the help desk that they needed to get this book in stock because I really love this book so so much. Does the author, do, have you met the author? I have not. I, I did a little stalking. You're a super fan. You should get in touch. I should. I almost wrote the author a letter telling her how much I loved it. I, and also the illustrator too, because it's beautifully, beautifully illustrated. I really should, should write to them because it was such an important book. And it's still like it, the pages are totally falling apart. And I, I refuse to like throw it out and get a new copy because it's just, it's so special. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that one. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on chatting today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. A lot of fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not craft newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.